Well, I want to thank all of you for coming out, making the effort today. Uh, on this really important day, you might ask, why have an anniversary celebration? We do a lot of it in our culture. I think it's a great time to stop and consider what God has done and look back a little bit. It's a great time for some of you who are newer to Cross Point to maybe have a little insight on how this church came to be. We're not really good on that maybe in our culture to understand how did we get here from where we came from. And so today we're going to have a little bit of that. And I'm so appreciative that Rick and Jamie and John and Katie have come today to share the word with us, be with us, enjoy the moment. As a little bit of a review before they come up, for those of you that don't know, Cross Point was a church plant from Grace Community Church, which is out on Allentown Road. Grace Community Church, well, started actually 30 years ago this May, so that's pretty remarkable. And 10 years ago, it was agreed that we would do a church plan and ended up being in the city as uh, we didn't anticipate that. As we were doing a pastoral search, it was obvious that God was bringing Rick and Jamie to us and his vision was to plant a church in the city. And we said, okay, let's, let's do it. Um, and so they came and did the hard work. John has pastored out of Grace Community Church for that whole time. He's now uh, the associate pastor, so he's still there. Uh, which is a picture of being in things for the long haul. And if Grace and Crosspoint have accomplished anything, if we might say it that way, it's that we are in it for the long haul. And I'm very appreciative of that. And some of the people, there's a little risk here, but I believe that are still here that were with us on the first day would be the Coxes, yes, the Kinnears, um, the Phillips, and even I, but did I miss anybody? Kinnears, yeah. It's, and then quickly, and Mickey. How could I not know that? See, I know this. But others quickly came along. And, you know, it was at some cost to Grace Community Church to send out 50 people-ish. And it, it kind of changed that church uh, to lose a number of people. And so they really did pay a price. They sent a bunch of money with us and a bunch of people, and they were very giving. And um, so that's what it takes, though, in the kingdom. I find in the kingdom, there's as many goodbyes as there are hellos in relationships. And we have to embrace that because God's kingdom will not expand if we just keep it to us four and no more. And so I'm really appreciative. And I want to announce today that I'll be leading a church plant of two more churches in Lima, and Rick and John are going to pastor those churches. No, I guess, I guess maybe... Maybe not. But we can dream. We can dream, can we not? So John came to us from Troy, Michigan, if I remember right, and Katie, and they've stayed with us ever since. It's been amazing. And Rick and Jamie came out of Trinity Seminary uh, to, to pastor with us. And, uh, and then Nick, who's down in the nursery right now, came along a couple years later. So God has blessed us with this continuance a strong, personal, loving ministry. So I'm just going to turn it over to Rick. I think you're coming up. John's coming up first. John's going to come up first and speak to us, and then Rick will come up, and then we're going to close with communion today. So welcome, my brother. What a joy, what a privilege to be with you all, brothers and sisters of Christ, of 
Crosspoint Community Church. Some of you might know that Tim is the one who, who brought me to Lima, so I have an ongoing forever appreciation of Tim Mosier and his family. Well, it's a great joy, it's a great privilege for me to be with all of you this morning. Even as we were singing, We Will Feast in the House of Zion, I was thinking, you know, that's what eternity's going to be. We're going to all be gathered back together from all over the world, from all our uh, ministries, to feast in God's presence forever and ever. That's going to be awesome. And until then, we have times to be together like this, where we're remembering, we're celebrating the goodness of God. So it's, it's a great joy for me to be here today. Thank you so much for inviting Katie and me to, uh, to celebrate and, and be with you on this happy occasion. I want to look briefly at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning, verses 5 through 9. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there or turn it on, click it on, whatever, uh, to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. And here's my hope in our study this morning. I want to do a couple things. I hope that from our study of this passage, it causes you an ever greater joy as you look back and see what God has done in the first decade of your church's family. And then at the same time, it energizes you and gives you confidence as you look ahead to the decades to come. One of the problems of the Church of Corinth, which, thank God, is not a problem at Crosspoint Community Church, was there's division and strife in that church because of competing loyalties over its members for who they liked better as a church leader. In verse 4, Paul rebukes the church. He says, when one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not acting as mere humans? In other words, your factionalism demonstrates no evidence of God working among you. You're acting like a bunch of non-Christians, like mere humans, rather than like those who have the Spirit of God at work within them. And that sets up the verses I want to look at. So Paul's rebuked them, and then he continues in verses 5 through 9. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you have believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. So in these verses, Paul is using an agricultural metaphor to describe the church. He calls it God's field, which was planted by Paul and watered by Apollos. With this metaphor, Paul is admonishing the Corinthians for their factionalism. However, through what he tells them, we can also observe some important principles about the growth of the church. And this morning, I want to draw our attention to three of them. So our study will be arranged around three principles of church growth. And I'm thinking here not just of numerical growth, though that would be included, but also growth in godliness of its members, growth in impact in the community. And so as we turn our attention to three principles of Grow. Think about your church, where it's been, and where it could go. Principle number one of church growth, God causes the growth of his church. God causes the growth of his church. At the end of his illustration, Paul states in verse 9, we, Apollos and I, are God's fellow workers, and you, the Greek language of the New Testament, the you there is plural, so from the south he'd be saying y'all, Y'all are 
God's field and God's building. He opens the letter by saying, Paul, by the will of God, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. In Acts chapter 20, verse 8, Paul instructs the elders of the church of Ephesus, be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought, bought with his own blood. So whether it's the church of Corinth, the church of Ephesus, the church of Crosspoint, or any other church, it belongs to God. He's the owner. And that means that the church does not belong to the pastor. It does not belong to the leaders. It does not belong to the founding members. It does not belong to the largest contributors. It doesn't belong to the congregation. The church belongs to God. It's his. And that should affect our attitude because instead of asking, well, what do I want from the church? Or what do we, the members, want from the church? The question should always be, what does God want? What does the owner want? So as we make decisions about buildings and budgets and staff and programs, as we navigate difficult circumstances, the question is, what will please him? What will bring him glory? Friends, your church belongs to God and any growth it has experienced or will experience is ultimately because of God. Paul makes this point twice. You look at verses 6 and 7. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives or causes the growth. The Corinthians were dividing into camps based on who they thought was the most gifted, most effective minister. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Paul acknowledges that Paul and Apollos have important work to do, but he also says neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Farming involves, among other things, planting and watering. It also requires plowing and weeding and fertilizing. That's about all I know about farming. It takes that stuff to do. I, don't, I know nothing. I know some of you are farmers. But listen to this. If God did not create seed to burst forth with life and yield a crop, then all of those activities would be meaningless. Farmers would literally be just playing in the dirt. And what's true in the, on the farm is true in the church. Human activity by itself cannot accomplish anything. Only God gives growth. Commenting on verse 7, one New Testament scholar states that Paul and Apollos do have essential tasks to perform, but they have no independent importance. From the perspective of ultimate responsibility for the Corinthians' existence as the people of God, Paul and Apollos count for nothing. Because without God's prior activity, bring them to faith and causing them to grow, there would be no church at all. Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse 16, rather, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, is my favorite statement in the Bible about the church. It's made by Jesus, and he says, I will build my church. church. It's mine, and I'm going to build it. Here in 1 Corinthians, Paul's saying the same thing. The church belongs to God, and God is the one who gives the growth. Therefore, whenever a church grows, as has happened at Cross Point Community Church, God gets all the praise. 
because he's the ultimate grower of his church. Knowing that the church grows because of divine initiative, not human initiative, should cause us to be thankful to God and also to be dependent on God because we realize that apart from his work, all of our effort has no lasting spiritual effect. And therefore, we should regularly be crying out to him, ask him to bring about the growth of his church. However, acknowledging that God causes the growth of his church should not result in us becoming passive because so often God's work is done through people. And that's what the second principle of church growth is about. You could state it like this. God gives his people different abilities with which they can work together for the growth of the church. So principle number one is God causes the growth of his church. Principle number two, God gives his people different abilities with which they can work together for the growth of the church. In verse 8, Paul states, he who plants and he who waters are one. That is, they're one in purpose. They have the same objective. In Paul's farming analogy, the one who plants and the one who waters both have the goal of seeing an abundant harvest. And as that concept is applied to the church, Paul and Apollos both want to see the church of Corinth flourish. While they have different functions, though, they're not in competition. They're teammates. Paul says in verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. And by that, he doesn't mean Apollos and I work together with God, but rather that we work together for God. Apollos and I are fellow workers. We're on the same team, and we belong to God just like you do. We are his fellow workers. You are his field. And as fellow workers for God, Paul and Apollos have been equipped by God for their work. Beginning in verse, nine, uh, verse 5, Paul says of himself and of Apollos, we are servants. You're, you're holding us up like we're something special. We're just servants through whom you believed. And then look at this phrase. As the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered. The Greek word that is translated assigned simply means to give. It's used again in verse 10 where Paul says, according to the grace of God that was given to me as a wise skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. In this context, the grace that was given to Paul was the grace of some spiritual gift that equipped him for ministry. And brothers and sisters, listen to this. God has given every one of us a gift as well. Not the same gift, but we're all gifted. Paul would later write in the book of Romans, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, so the same word found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, God gives us this gift of grace. In the grace given to us, each is to exercise it accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if serving in his service, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In establishing the church of Corinth, God gave Paul and Apollos different gifts and worked through them in different ways. Paul planted, Apollos watered. And along with these two men, God gifted and God used lots of other people who aren't mentioned here, but some of them are mentioned in the book of Acts. The church of Corinth, the story of its planting, is told in Acts chapter 18. Paul arrives in Corinth, 
and he meets a couple who end up inviting him to stay with them, Aquila and Priscilla. And that not only provide him with lodging, but we're, we find out there that Paul's a tent maker, and so are they. And so he joins them in their tent making business so he can earn enough money to support himself. While he's in Corinth, two of his associates, Silas and Timothy, come from Macedonia, and they bring with them a financial gift from the church of Philippi. With that financial gift, Paul can cease his tent-making ministry and give himself fully to preaching and teaching the word. When he leaves Corinth, Aquila and Priscilla go with him until they get to Ephesus. They stay at Ephesus. Paul travels on back to his home church of Antioch. While Aquila and Priscilla are in Ephesus, they meet a dynamic Christian named Apollos, whose preaching was powerful, but whose theology was lacking. And Luke reports that they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. Apollos leaves Ephesus, and guess where he goes? He goes to Corinth. So from Acts chapter 18, we see it wasn't just Paul and Apollos that planted and nurtured the church at Corinth. It was also Aquila and Priscilla and Silas and Timothy and the church of Philippi. And I'm sure there are many other people involved as well who we don't know, but God certainly does. God worked through many people to whom he gave many different gifts to plant and nurture the church of Corinth. And he did the same thing with Cross Point Community Church. So I had fun this week as I was preparing for today. I went back and looked through all, uh, not all, but lots of my old minutes from the elders meetings. And so Tim is Tim was always like, well, you gotta, you gotta keep, you gotta hold on to these things, John. I'm always like throwing stuff away. He's like, no, you're gonna want these someday. So he was right. So I was looking through old elder minutes, scintillating reading, let me tell you. Uh, but here's what I found. It was October of 2008 that the elders of Grace Community Church met with two representatives from our denomination to start developing a strategy for planting a church. One of them was a pastor named Marty Schoenlieber who came back the following April, April of 2009, and he preached a sermon to our church, Grace Community Church, about plant, church planting. And he helped energize us and think about that task. The other man who was at that meeting was a guy named Brett Gleason. Brett Gleason would later introduce us to a young seminarian, whom you know as Rick Schwartz, who was at that time still well over a year in school, but was already thinking about perhaps planting a church. That introduction to Rick came after, what, a year and a half, maybe, Tim, of us looking for someone, and it's just like, we're just strikeout after strikeout. We actually invited him to in. It's like, he's not going to work. And it just, God was not opening up the door until we met Rick, and he was here like five minutes, like, yep, that's the guy. So Rick candidated for the position, we called church planting pastor, September 2010, but he still had a year left of school. So it's not until the fall of 2011 that he and Jamie can move to Lima and we can begin the work of planting a church. Now, I review all of that as a way of helping us see how God gives different gifts to his people, and then he uses them as he networks them together, and they work together for the good of his church. In October of 2008, long before anyone from Cross Point, uh, from Grace Community Church, except for maybe Tim Mosier, anyone could envision a thriving church family that's now called Cross Point, God was already in the process of equipping his people and bringing them together for the exciting work of planting a new church in Lima, Ohio. And that should motivate each one of us as we look into the future. 
Because what it means is the plans we're making now and the work we're doing now might be used by God in amazing ways that we can't even imagine years or even decades from now for his glory and the growth of his church. And whatever work we do, however we're involved in that process, God sees it and he will one day reward it. So here's principle number three about church growth that we notice from this passage. God will reward those who work hard for the growth of his church. God will reward those who work hard for the growth of his church. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages, or that word could also be translated reward. He will receive his reward according to his labor. Now, the Greek word translated labor is not the general word for work. Rather, it's a word that has the idea of exertion that leads to exhaustion. The verbal form of the word is found in John chapter 5, 4, verse 6, which says that Jesus was wearied from his journey. The word is also found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, where it's translated as toil. My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. Toil is wearisome labor. It's hard work that leaves us tired and exhausted. Teaching, preparing to teach God's word can be toilsome. Caring for children, like it's going on downstairs right now, can be toilsome. Preparing to lead worship can be toilsome. Earning lots of money to give to the work of the church can be toilsome. Working to maintain a church building, to fix up a church building like you're doing, can be toilsome. It can be toilsome to counsel someone who's depressed or whose marriage is falling apart. It can be toilsome to feed the hungry. It can be toilsome to serve the community in the name of Christ. And when our work is exhausting, we're tempted to give up and just, just sort of coast in the Christian life. But Paul encourages us not to do that. Instead, he says, abound. And the picture there is overflowing. Like a spring overflowing with water, overflow in the work of the Lord. And he says, do that with the assurance that your toil, your exhausting labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, when Paul says our labor is not in vain, he doesn't mean it's always going to be successful. Our hard work is always going to accomplish what we hoped to. Rather, what he means is it's never worthless. It's never a waste of time. And that's because even when our toil doesn't produce what we might hope, we don't see the tangible results that we long for, God still sees it. God is pleased by it. God will use it according to his purposes, and God will one day reward us for it. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his reward according to his labor. This is remarkable. The creator of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who created us, the one who saved us through the blood of his son, he is going to reward us for what we've done for the sake of his church. 
Jesus describes a scene in Matthew chapter 25. The words of commendation will be, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So when we feast in the house of Zion, we're going to be partying like never before, and we're going to be rejoicing as we see what God has done through his people, and God's going to look at his servants who've served him faithfully and say, well done, well done, well done, well done, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. Can you imagine anything sweeter in the whole universe than, than hearing the, the creator, not a creature, not a fellow creator, the creator saying to you, well done. God causes the growth of the church that belongs to him. And often he does that by giving gifts, different gifts to different people so they work together for the growth of his church. And for those who do that, there's a sweet reward that all their hard work, all their toil will be rewarded one day. Therefore, beloved brothers and sisters of Cross Point Community Church, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. And now Pastor Rick is going to come and tell us about the message that is absolutely critical and foundational to the growth of the church. Well, hello, everyone. It's kind of hard to follow John Hayward, I just have to say. I wish I would have gone first, you know. <laughs> it's a joy to be with you all. And if you have your Bibles, please turn now to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. I'm going to go just a little bit earlier than what John talked about. And I am here today with Jamie and our three kids. Some of you have asked how old they are. Well, Caleb is nine and in third grade. Brooklyn up here is seven and in second grade and Amelia is four soon to be five and in preschool uh, she'll be in kindergarten this fall and interestingly nobody asks Jamie or I how old we are and we're okay with that so <laughs> yes 14 yeah <laughs> thanks Jeff well Cross Point Community Church had their first service on February 5th uh, 2012 and we didn't meet in this building we met at the Rally Point Youth Center they're on North Main Street. It also happened to be Super Bowl Sunday, just like today. And Grace Community Church, as was mentioned, uh, several years prior had sensed God's call to plant a new church. And a group of us at Grace had been meeting for several months when we got there to dream, pray together, and envision what God would do. And all of those efforts came to fruition on that Sunday and now looking out at all of you, it's amazing to see how all of those efforts through God's work through you have continued. I see a lot of faces I recognize, but I also see some faces I don't recognize, and I think that's wonderful, because <laughs> God is calling you to be a part of what he's doing here at Cross Community Church. Well, I was thinking back to 2012 
uh, what was going on. Because 10 years goes by so quickly. The older you get, it just goes by quicker and quicker. Did you know that on Super Bowl Sunday in 2012, Tom Brady... And the New England Patriots played Eli Manning and the New York Giants, and the Giants beat him. All right. Ten years ago, Barack Obama beat Mitt Romney in the presidential election. Ten years ago, we were talking about the economy rebounding because we had just gone through a recession, and it was starting to get better. Ten years ago, do you know what the most popular movie was in 2012? The Avengers. And since then, this spawned lots more Avengers-type movies. But none of those things in many ways really matter for us. On our calendar, the most important thing that year was the sacrifice that Grace Community Church made, that many of you made, to start Crosspoint Community Church. My wife, Jamie, and I look back on that time with great fondness, even though, I mean, I'll be honest, I was pretty worried a lot those early days about what was going to happen. But I look back now and see God's faithfulness through a lot of things. So for instance, one of the ways that we started meeting at Rally Point Youth Center on North Main Street was a group of us started playing basketball at Rob Park, not too far away. And by getting to know some of the guys in there, particularly a guy named Rodney or our daddy, he connected us with this gentleman named Jared Diller, who happens to be here today with his family, and told us about Rally Point Youth Center. And so I called up Jared. We met And our very first conversation, I hardly even knew Jared. He said, hey, do you guys want to meet here at our building? And I thought, what is the catch? (laughs) But God was just connecting the dots of his faithfulness and providing for where he wanted this church uh, to start. I also remember, too, about four or five years into the journey of being at Rally Point Youth Center, we could sense that God was calling us to find our own space. And so we started praying about this. And I remember at one particular prayer meeting, I mentioned it, and we prayed about it. And there just so happened to be a gentleman there who went to this church, uh, North Park Church, and he came up to me afterwards and says, hey, do you guys want to buy a church? And God connected those dots. I'm also thankful, too, how God has provided many of you to do so much work here at Cross Point Community Church and continue the work. I'm thankful for those that came from Grace Community. In fact, I remember when we were early on dreaming of coming and starting We had a meeting where we said, hey, what are you going to miss as you leave Grace Community Church? You know, because it's it's a grieving process to leave something, to say goodbye, as Tim talked about, and exciting at the same time to start something. And I remember Chad and Megan Kinnear, if I can quote you, saying that one of the things that you would miss was that one of your girls would never be able to use the little potty at Grace Community (laughs) Church. (laughs) Go back and use it any time, John said. (laughs) So maybe Nathan Seidner, as you're working, maybe think about a little potty here at uh, Crosspoint Community Church. Okay, yeah. (laughs) And I'm also thankful how God has provided you now, Nick and Sarah, and many of you to continue the work in incredible ways. Well, I want to read from 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. If you're able to, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? I'm reading from the ESV here. And Paul is talking about the message of the cross, how important that is. And he says in verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? 
Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And this is God's word. And you may be seated. So the cross of Jesus Christ is vitally important. After all, we are called Cross Point Community Church. If, if this church is going to survive, and not just survive, but, but thrive another 10 years, and Lord willing, beyond, till Jesus comes back, the cross and the message of the cross has to be stubbornly at the center of all we think about, all we do, how we worship. And I have two reasons from our text why that's the case, two reasons. Number one, the first reason is that the cross of Jesus Christ or the message of Jesus Christ it unites us, and it also can strangely divide us. It's a great unifier, but it's also kind of the measuring stick that, that we have to keep central that sometimes we have to divide over. It's, it's the fundamental distinguisher and distinctive of our church. You know, John mentioned that the church had a lot of problems in Corinth. In fact, I've often joked, if you ever want to be encouraged about your church, just read 1 Corinthians, because... It's a pretty discouraging situation they were going through. They were divided over leaders. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. And think about our society and nation. Do we as a society ever divide over human leaders? <laughs> Boy, every four years, every two years, I mean, all the time. Every day. And that kind of thinking even creeps into the church. Even today, right, in the world of church world, do we ever organize around certain leaders? We do. We struggle with that too. But if the cross of Jesus Christ is central, if the message is central that, that Paul is talking about, that's going to make all the difference. We won't divide based on what the world divides over. We'll unite over the cross, and when it's appropriate, we'll even divide over the cross. Back in Paul's day, there were many reasons why people were divided in the first century world. There were slaves and free, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor. In our culture, we still divide over some of those things. And especially in the last two years, has anybody noticed some division in our... There's even more opportunity in the last couple of years, even still today, to divide. It has been a very challenging time to be a church the last couple of years. And at times it can be discouraging. But what is it that keeps our church and any church from kind of going off the rails, from getting sucked into political ideology or whatever, you name it? And I think the answer, Paul would say here, is the cross. The cross is the fundamental distinction. And it divides us into merely two groups. Look at verse 18. The message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. That's one group. But to us who are being saved, that's the other group. It is the power of of God. If those in Corinth remember that, that, that they should not be divided around leaders, if they've kept the cross central, that would help them to be unified. 
It will remind them that they have one leader, Jesus Christ. They have one family, that they have been saved by the power of God and the wisdom of God in the cross. It would remind them that they are part of the same team. And it would, it would humble them because at the foot of the cross, we're all the same. There's no boasting except in Christ. So Cross Point Community Church, if you want to be a united church, focus stubbornly with a laser-like focus on the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you find yourself becoming more excited about something else, whether it's, even if it's a good thing like a program or a ministry, there should be a little bit of an alarm going off because we have to keep the cross, we have to be excited about the cross first, and from that, everything else flows. At the same time, if you keep the cross central, it also helps you to know when to divide from the world, and often, sometimes even in the church. Because the message of the cross, Paul says, to the world seems foolish, doesn't it? It seems weak. It doesn't make sense. You know, I remember one gentleman earlier in our, in our church plant, he was starting to respond to the message of the cross. So after one of our D groups, one of our Bible studies, a men's group, we, a couple of us sat down with him and went through the gospel using one of those gospel tracks, Two Ways to Live, because he needed to know the gospel more. And as we talked about the cross, he got excited that, that he could have a relationship with God. But then as we started to talk about, well, if you're going to respond to the message, you have to surrender your whole life. That's, even though the cross is amazing, it's grace, it's mercy that God did. It's, it involves saying, I'm going to give my life. And that's when he started to push back. We saw his countenance change, and he was very honest with us and said, you know what, Pastor Rick, I just I don't think I'm ready for that. But we shouldn't be discouraged by that because that's what the cross does. It calls us, it calls people to follow God, and it also puts up a big resistance to people following God. And God has ordained it that it is this way. Even in the church, when the cross of Jesus Christ is at stake, that is when you think about dividing as a church. I pray that it never gets to that point in this church. But even then, that's the measuring stick. So if the cross, if we are going to survive for another 10 years and beyond, if any church is going to thrive through everything going on in our culture, in this world, we have to be stubbornly united around the cross. The second reason that we see here, that the second reason why we have to be focused on the cross is not only that it unites us and divides us, but the second reason is that the cross is God's appointed power and wisdom. It is the very means, Paul says, that God has called to bring men and women to salvation. It is God's appointed power and wisdom. If you look at verse 22 and following, we see then how the cross confronted their culture. Jews demanded signs and I heard that Pastor Nick is preaching through the book of John, correct? Jesus is giving a lot of signs, but that still wasn't enough for their culture. Jesus, show us a sign, and then maybe we'll believe. And the ultimate sign that Jesus showed the Jews that he was the Messiah was that he died on a cross, which, that was foolish. That was weakness. That didn't make any sense that the Messiah, who was supposed to be this conqueror and king, would die naked and bleeding on a cross. Or to the Greeks, in verse 22, the Greeks seek wisdom. And back in that culture, the Greeks and the Gentiles, they love their wisdom and philosophical systems. And the cross seems like utter nonsense to them, too. But in verse 23, Paul says so simply, but we preach, we declare Christ 
crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But interestingly, in verse 24, to those who are called, by the way, who's doing the calling there? God. God uses the preaching of the cross. As the cross goes out, God does his amazing work where he calls men and women, both Jews and Greeks, to himself. And Christ becomes, strangely, ironically, through the cross, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And if he's not calling you, it doesn't make any sense. It seems like this is weird stuff. Some of you may be sitting here today thinking, this is weird that we, we lift high a crucified Savior. But to those whom God has called, man, it is, it is precious. It is the wisdom of God. It is the power of God. The cross and the preaching of it is God's plan A to save sinners for himself. You know, even when I was in Bible college and in seminary, and even many years prior, there was a lot of debate going on, is, is, is preaching outdated? Is declaring God's word outdated? Even I hear John Piper, who's been preaching for years back in the 60s and 70s, there was that question then. But let me tell you, it will never be outdated. <laughs> we are called to continually declare the message of the cross. It is God's plan A to save sinners what actually seems weak is God's power because through the means of the cross, it is by our faith in Christ and the cross, that's how we're declared righteous in his sight. That's how he accomplishes salvation. It is powerful. And what seems foolish is actually wisdom because at the cross, God is able to satisfy his own justice. He is magnified in his justice at the cross, but also he's also gracious and merciful. And those two concepts just beautifully intersect at the cross that God can be just and yet justify us in Christ Jesus. This is absolutely appropriate because we don't get any glory for this, but God gets the glory. There's no way we can be saved on our own. You know, I was recently reminded of this power of the cross and its foolishness and weakness recently in Bern, where we're serving right now. There was a couple in our church in their 90s he just passed away, went to be with the Lord, and his wife, his widow, is now in an assisted living home. And she's pretty much blind. If I get two feet in front of her face, she knows it's me because of my voice, but she can't even see me. That's how blind she is. And so every day she'll ask one of her nurse aides to read scripture for her for 10 to 15 minutes. So this person will come in and read it. And it just so happened that she asked this person to read about Jesus. And over the weeks of doing this, finally, that nurse aide came in one day and said, Bernie, would you tell me, how can I have a relationship with this God that I'm reading about? So God, through this blind 90-something-year-old woman, simply reading about the cross, called this nurse aide to a saving relationship. That wasn't part of our church's evangelism strategy, by the way, either. That's just simply God doing what he does through the preaching of the cross. I remember early on in our church plant, we had the privilege of having a couple in our living room. And through the teaching of the cross in the book of Mark, God called them to rededicate their lives to Jesus Christ. I'm all for creative and evangelistic outreaches. I'm all for it. In fact, this church has been a part of many of those kind of things. But I'm always reminded that God loves to work by simply lifting high the cross. That is the great distinguisher of those who come and those who don't. And it is his very means that he brings people to himself. So Crosspoint Community Church, if you're going to be a church that survives and actually thrives into the future, keep the cross at the center. Be stubborn about it. 
Because when you do, it will unite you, Paul says. It will properly divide you. And it will remind you that it is God's appointed means to call men and women to himself. 